In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says these words in Matthew 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words on how you instruct us to pray. And we come before you now, Lord, acknowledging that you're Father, acknowledging that you're holy, that you're sovereign. Lord, we just ask that you would speak to us today, that you teach us to be more like you. And as we start this new year, Lord, you would help us to focus on the things that matter, that a relationship with you would have clarity, that our hearts would be aligned with your heart, that we'd be in tune with what you've called us to do in this world. We love you so much. Amen. 1752, one of the founding fathers of America, Benjamin Franklin, put a kite in the air and flew it into a storm. So if you've heard me tell this story, flies this kite to the storm, and uh, in a roundabout way, discovers electricity. We know that some of the, the details of how he did this experiment ties a key to it with a, a hemp rope. And uh, most people say that the kite never got struck by lightning, uh, but there was definitely energy that, was, uh, that, that, that passed through it that he could see. It's actually a very dangerous experiment that Benjamin Franklin did. Someone in Russia around the same time tried the same experiment and blew himself up. The wild thing about when Benjamin Franklin did it is he had his son, William Franklin, uh, hold the jar that the, cup, the, the key was attached to. Very kind of dangerous thing. Probably doesn't understand exactly what he's dealing with, with the lightning. But Benjamin Franklin is this great inventor, this great thinker, scientist, uh, statesman. Uh, Benjamin Franklin was one of the greatest minds that our country has produced. Had this way of looking at things and asking good questions about them. And when Benjamin Franklin approached this experiment, electricity was kind of this thing that was being uh, more and more understood. He's a big reason why. But it says that he looked up into the heavens and he saw this great power that came from the lightning, this magnificent power, and thought, what if I could harness that power to do work here on earth? Is there some way to contain it, to use it for, for work here on earth? And it's such a good question to think about and to consider, and is what we know that lightning is electricity and that creates energy. But I love this story of him looking up into the heavens and saying, there, there's got to be a way of harnessing that power for work here and now. And we started this series on the Lord's Prayer last week. We're talking about this idea of focus. We just want to focus on prayer in January. But what is prayer? I mean, do we really understand what we're dealing with here as we, as we pray? To come before God, the all-powerful, almighty God who's up in the heavens, to tap into that power, to try to contain it. What is it that we do when we pray? Are we harnessing the power of the heavens to do work here on earth? Well, kind of. I think that's part of it. Um, 
As we consider what prayer is and what prayer does, there's all sorts of questions that come up. Does prayer change our circumstances or does it change us? Uh, does God intervene uh, in our circumstances? Or is it all kind of, you know, he knows what we're praying for before we pray, so it's more about a relationship with God. What is actually happening when we come before God in prayer? And last week we talked about how I, I don't necessarily know how prayer works, but I know that prayer works. And we're told to pray. And, and it's something that's very easy and simple to do, and it's something that is extremely difficult to do. But if people who are followers of Jesus, who are in relationship with God, prayer should be something that is a priority in our lives, to slow down and pray. So last week, we started looking at this prayer as Jesus instructs us to pray. It's called the Lord's Prayer. You're probably familiar with these words of the Lord's Prayer. There's a cadence to it. There's something nostalgic about it when we hear these words. It triggers something in our mind even if we're not a very churchy person, we've, we're familiar with these words of the Lord's Prayer. Last week we talked about how this prayer opens with these words, Our Father in Heaven. Our, it's this, this community that gathers. There's this communal feel to this uh, relationship with God. And then Father, this, who, whoever God is, uh, when, when we think about how big He is and how, how majestic and how mighty and how powerful is, He allows us to approach Him as Father, there's something very personal, there's something very loving uh, about his relationship with us. Well, this week I want to look at kind of the next stanza, the next phrase of this prayer with the words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I like to say that there's a certain posture that we take as we get to this point in the prayer. The prayer opens up with us acknowledging who God is, giving praise for who God is. But then I would say this is, in, the, in this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, there's a posture of expectation and hope and desire that God's kingdom would come. There's a, we pray expectantly. And then there's a, a posture of submission, or maybe the word is surrender, of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray hoping and praying that that kingdom would come. And then this acknowledgement of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a prayer of expectation and surrender. We often talk about building God's kingdom. That's what we feel like we're, we're doing here is establishing a new church in this community that doesn't really have any churches in the community. Uh, we're a part of this work, and there's a lot of talk about joining God in this work. But here in this passage, Jesus tells us to pray for God's kingdom, to pray for it. This is one of the first things we pray for, is for God's kingdom to come. And I think that it's, it's easy to get busy doing the working of it, but to, to stop and to pray, to align our heart with God, and to ask, Lord, may your kingdom come. And what is this kingdom that we are to pray for? What is it? Is it heaven? Is it some far-out thing that's in the future, or something that we don't really get a glimpse of now, but Jesus tells us to pray for that kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. I wish there would be just a, a very simple definition, and I could probably give you some, but what's interesting is when Jesus starts to talk about this kingdom, he gives us all sorts of pictures and glimpses of what that kingdom is. We see in his parables as he tells these stories, and Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven was like a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, and yet it grows into the largest of 
of trees. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a, a treasure that's buried in a field. When a man finds it, he sells everything that he has and he purchases that field. In another place, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. We catch all these glimpses, these definitions of understanding of what this kingdom of heaven is that we're called to pray for. And I love it, as one theologian puts it, I I think this is what what Jesus is explaining in these parables as we start to understand the kingdom. He's saying basically this, don't be surprised, but this is what it looks like when God is in charge. Don't be surprised, but this is what it looks like when God is in charge. And Jesus tells parable after parable of what happens within the economy of this kingdom. And what we find is that there's this kingdom of, of heaven that comes here and now that is much different than our earthly kingdoms. This is a kingdom that's eternal. This is a kingdom uh, that, that transcends uh, the physical. And this is a kingdom that we are a part of. We catch a glimpse of it in Revelation 21, this idea of, of the kingdom. And I love some of the language that's used here. It says, When this comes, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And yet we know this is a kind of a future destination kingdom. This is someday this is going to happen. And so we start to have this language to understand if we're praying for God's kingdom to come here and now, what that means is that we catch glimpses of it in our life. It's an already but not yet type of kingdom. It's a, it's a present reality and yet a future destination kingdom. It's something that we've, we've seen glimpses of in the past and yet we, we know that more is coming. The kingdom of heaven is this place where there's shalom, this place where there's peace and wholeness and restoration. When all the things that, that corrupt our world have been defeated and destroyed, and we catch glimpses of that here and now, it's a future destination, and yet it's a present reality. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians that we are citizens of this kingdom, this otherworldly kingdom. We are citizens of it. We participate in it. The life of the church is to be a part of this kingdom. And here's the thing for us as a church is that we who pray this prayer are called to be a part of the answer of it. We who pray for God's kingdom to come are part of the answer of it. We join God in this work of ushering in the kingdom of heaven. Desert City Church, therefore, is a community following Jesus following the ways of Jesus, inhabiting this earth with the culture of heaven, doing what Jesus calls us to do. I've got eight weeks left of seminary, and I'm super excited. I'm almost done. Uh, It's been a a two-and-a-half-year process. Yeah, you can. I didn't know that was going to happen, but (laughs) why not? Um, And uh, as as we're, we're going through all these old theologians who, who spoke into the church and tried to define what the kingdom is and the church's purposes in the world. I think some of my favorite metaphors come from this old pastor and author named Leslie Newbegin. And he would say this of the church when it comes to us joining God and ushering the kingdom. He said that the church, these are the metaphors he uses, that the church is a sign, a foretaste, and an instrument of the reign of God in this world. It's a sign 
It's a foretaste and it's an instrument of the reign of God. And it's interesting when we think of what church is like in our, in our culture. It's not really something that I think people long to go to and to be a part of. But when you start talking about this idea of God's kingdom coming and us having this responsibility to join God in this work, and you start to think about our purpose as a community who's following Jesus, all of a sudden you start to realize there's great significance to be a part of a body of people. We have great purpose in this life. Everything that we do matters. There's an eternal aspect to the work that we do as the body of Christ in communities. We're a sign of foretaste and an instrument of the reign of God in this world. Think about what signs do. Uh, signs point us towards something, right? They give us direction. And when we gather on Sunday, there's a sign for the community that gives us direction. When we gather together and worship, when we gather together and pray, when we open up the scripture and hear from God in community, there's this sign pointing to that this fact that there's some other kingdom, something else exists. This isn't all there is in the world. There's something eternal at work. And the church is pointing to that. The church is proclaiming that. When we come together on Sundays, we help proclaim that. That's the sign of the reign of God in this world. It's something that's visible for others. And then we think foretaste. I love this word foretaste. Scripture tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. A foretaste of the kingdom is the church community. Uh, one of my New Year's resolutions, I didn't really make a resolution, but as you know, last year I, I went through a bunch of different diets. Um, as I get older, I realize I can't just eat at midnight, Taco Bell and such. So I kind of switched my diet around, and strangely, like my diet keeps coming up in sermon illustrations. It's kind of like that, I know what I'm not supposed to do, but I do what I don't want to do, like that whole thing, like <laughs> me eating. Uh, but for New Year's this year, I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to lay off sugar for like the month of January. Just, I'm not going to do like the whole 30, I'm not going to do like, you know, super strict diet, but I'm not going to touch sugar. And I was at the grocery store last night, and my wife has a sweet tooth, she always will want ice cream at night, she goes to bed every night with ice cream, and uh, so I was at the store, she's like, don't forget ice cream. So, you know, going, she, she really likes the new, the Jimmy Fallon, uh, the Tonight Dough. I don't know if you've had that. It's a Ben and Jerry's ice cream. It's great. Anyways, picking out ice cream for Marcy, and I come across, I come across something that I just have to behold. There's this ice cream sitting in the freezer at Fry's, and I have this moment where I, I, I'm fixated on it. And it's the Tillamook brand of ice cream. I don't know if you're familiar with Tillamook. It's this dairy up in Oregon, uh, this dairy farm. I, my family, I have a lot of family up there, so when we go up there, like, we love to go to the Tillamook factory and sample all the cheese. So I like Tillamook already, so I'm like biased towards it. But then as I'm looking at the Tillamook, it says special edition, and it says stump down cold brew coffee flavor. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I heard that. So the exact noise that I made when I read it. <laughs> like, and, and I'm thinking, like, we have a lot of people, we love cold brew. Like, we were in Phoenix, stumped down cold brew. That's like the original cold brew coffee. And I'm like, so they just took one good thing <laughs> and made another good thing. They brought them together, and it's ice cream, a third good thing. And I, I had one of those moments where I'm looking at the freezer, and it's like, you know, in the movies when you fixate on something and, like, everything goes dark, and it's, like, glowing at me. 
And I'm thinking, it's Saturday, it's a holiday weekend. I can have sugar. I can have sugar just this once. I just want to taste. I got to just taste this. It's a special edition. Right? There, I just want, I got to, I just have a taste of it. So, of course, last night I bought the uh, Tillamook uh, Stumptown cold brew coffee ice cream and got home and I was like, I'm not going to eat, you know, I got the small little, I'm not going to eat the whole thing. I just want a taste of it. And it was everything that I thought it would be. It was amazing. Not sure if I'm going to finish it yet. I just might get tastes of it. But this idea that you, you taste something and you see that it is good. And Leslie Hubing, it says that the church is a foretaste of the kingdom, the reign of God. It should be something that when, when people come, they experience, they experience what heaven is like as we gather together. There's... There's these fruits of the Spirit that are present when we gather of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. These are things that, that it's a foretaste of God's kingdom. Sometimes we experience that when we, when we worship God, when all of a sudden it's like we, we have this experience where we, everything else kind of fades away and we connect with God in prayer and worship. It's a foretaste of, of heaven. And that's pretty significant for a church to gather together and to be a foretaste of the reign of God in this world. Everything that we do matters. And then the third thing is an instrument. An instrument. Scripture tells us that we are instruments of reconciliation in this world, which goes back to, yes, we do have work to do. We participate in ushering in the reign of God in everything that we do. And it starts small and it starts inside of us but it has ramifications for outside of the walls of this building and outside of the walls of all of our church buildings. We're instruments of the reign of God. We have calling, we have gifting, we have things that we do. And I wonder how often we wake up on Monday and think, I'm going to work today, but what I do is participating as an instrument of reconciliation in this world. My job is a job, but there's actually something very sacred about it because what I do with my time, how I treat people, how I use my gifts matters. And all of us are these instruments of reconciliation, and then collectively we're this instrument of reconciliation in this world. We pray God's kingdom to come with expectation. We long for God's kingdom to come, and we participate in ushering in that kingdom. Minty Wright says this of it. He says, The work we do in the present, then, gains its full significance from the eventual design in which it is meant to belong. Applied to this mission of the church, this means that we must work in the present for the advanced signs of that eventual state of affairs when God is all and in all, and when his kingdom has come and his will has been done on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder how often our prayers are consumed with expectation of thy kingdom come. How often are we praying for this, hoping for this, desiring the kingdom in our lives? And I think that the very next phrase goes along with that. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done implies some expectation. But it also... So, implies this idea of, God, do what you're going to do. Have your way. God, do what you're going to do and have your way in this world. It's a, a prayer that 
could feel a little bit dangerous to say in our own life, Lord, have your way in my life. Your will be done in my life. Am I okay with that? I found that sometimes it's, think of reason I don't pray for thy kingdom to become, thy kingdom to come in this world is because I'm not willing to say that and thy will be done. It's like I want God's kingdom in my kingdom. I want my agenda and my desires and then God too. Maybe they can coexist. One pastor said this, and it stuck with me. It says, before we can pray that kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. Sorry. Before we can pray, thy kingdom come, we must be willing to pray, my kingdom go. It's a prayer saying, God, we want more of you and less of me. Are we willing to pray that way? Tim Keller says, if we can't pray thy will be done, from the bottom of our hearts, we will never know any peace. We will, feel, we will feel compelled to try to control people, control our environment, and make things the way we believe they ought to be. So in this prayer of expectation is also this prayer of surrender. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we willing to pray that? That God's will would be manifested in our own life. I think it's interesting that Jesus tells us to pray this, but it's not the only time we see these words spoken by Jesus. As Jesus is getting ready for his death and crucifixion, as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he's, he's so anxious that he's sweating drops of blood. And he feels the weight of what he's about to do as he heads toward the cross. And he has this conversation with God. And it's, it's such an interesting thing to see Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, struggling, wrestling, anxious about what's about to happen. And he has these words, if you could remove this from me, Lord, do it. But if not, may your will be done. Thy will be done. And we know that Jesus goes to the cross, conquers sin and death, rises from the dead. When he gives up his life, he gives life for all humanity. He's willing to lay down so that God's plans can come through. Thy will be done. And I wonder, are we willing to pray that? In our life, Lord, even if that means for me, my kingdom going, am I willing to pray for more of you? Because I know that's where true life comes from. I would say this, God's will is accomplished when we set aside, when I set aside my agenda. God's will is accomplished when I set aside my agenda. When I get in line with what he wants to do, the kingdom comes. God's will is accomplished when I am obedient to his calling. When I'm obedient. I have an uncle who was a pastor for a long time, pastored for like 40 years, and he would say, if we do anything as followers of Jesus, here's what we need to do. Be obedient to God. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. We don't need to go out and perform miracles, which are great. Sometimes we do. But just faithfulness and obedience over time. Obedient to the things that God calls us to. God's will is accomplished when I'm obedient to his calling. The third thing is God's will is accomplished when I trust his ways. When I trust his ways. Last week we talked about God as Father. How God desires life that is truly life for us. 
that he knows what's best for us. Do we trust that? When God stirs things in our heart, when God calls things for us, are we obedient to that calling? Do we trust that he knows what's truly best for us? When we trust the kingdom as usher. I have this prayer that I've prayed since I was a little kid. It's a psalm that used to be up on a plaque in my room. And it's meant different things for me throughout my life, but uh, I want to read it. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I used to read that and think, if I trust in him, dwell in the land, stay obedient, then all of my dreams will come true. <laughs> right? It's like everything that I want, all the desires in my heart. But I think what this passage is talking about is the desires of our heart. When we think what of our heart is, our heart is noble. Our heart is true. Our heart is pure. It's the, things, the good things that God sees inside of us. When we're obedient, when we trust, when we delight in him, he gives us the things that we truly need. He understands the desires of our heart. And he understands the desires that we have that are corrupt. What we find is that when we delight in the Lord, he gives us what we truly need. Even if we don't understand what that means all the time. We take delight in him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The other thing is this puts us in relationship with God, able to be used by God. Uh, God uses us to work with other people. But as we become followers of Jesus, we start to become citizens of this eternal kingdom. We act differently in the world. Not in a way that is snobbish, not in a way that is legalistic, but in a way that is loving, approachable, compassionate, courageous, truthful. We live a certain kind of life. And I love what C.S. Lewis says, talking about this idea of your will be done when we're willing to say it. C.S. Lewis said, there's two kinds of people in this world, and only two kinds. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. Which one are you? What we find is that God, God kind of gives us what we want. And if we want something that's outside of him, if we desire something that's outside of him, it doesn't force us into the life that he offers. There's a choice. There's a decision that we come to in how we live. And if we pray this idea of your will be done in my life, it's an act of surrender to him. And I don't know if you've ever prayed that, if you've ever come to that decision where you're willing to say, Lord, may your will be done in my life. As Jesus teaches us to pray, he says to pray this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I think this prayer has eternal ramifications to allow God's will to be done in our life, this moment of surrender. And I think it's a question that we have to face. And I would encourage you to face it if you never have. And I think this question has ramifications for here and now, the way that we live life, allowing God's will to be done. And here's something I, I think that would be good to pray. Pray this way, that your will would be done.
in my life, that your will would be done. In my family, that your will would be done in my finances. That your will would be done in my career. That your will would be done in my children. That your will would be done in my dreams for the future. That your will would be done in my words. That your will would be done in my friendships. That your will would be done in my words. In my world. On earth as it is in heaven. In Phoenix as it is in heaven. In Desert Ridge as it is in heaven. In my house as it is in heaven. And in my heart as it is in heaven. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray with this posture of expectation and surrender. Today the man's going to come back up and we're going to spend some time reflecting. And there's two types of prayers, two types of postures I invite you to today. One is a prayer of expectation. That God's kingdom would come. That you would see it more and more in your life. That you would join God in this ushering in of the kingdom. This present reality that points to a future destination. And the second is a prayer of surrender. We find that when we, when we turn to God, he gives us life that is truly life. And maybe today you need to wrestle with this question. Am I willing to say that will be done in all of my life as it is in heaven? So as Tim comes back up, let's take some moments wrestling with those two postures. And then when you're ready, we'll move to communion. At the end of every day, every Sunday, we participate in this idea of communion. Communion is the sacraments, it's the elements, it represents the story of God's love for us. We take a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us on the cross. When Christ said, thy will be done. We take juice that represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for us. The breaking open of his body and the pouring out of his blood. What we find is atonement for our sin, for our own brokenness. And this is the story that we're a part of. This is the story that we proclaim. That God is putting the world back together. That we're invited to join as well. So let's take some moments to pray, to reflect, and when you feel ready to move to the communion table, we'll spend some time worshiping. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. For teaching us to pray. Lord, we don't want to move too quickly through this prayer. We don't want them to be empty words. We want to be reminded of the power that we have. You invite us to, to tap into you. To harness the power of the heavens to do work here on earth. We pray expectantly, Lord. Your kingdom would come more and more. We look around the world and we see brokenness, we see pain, we experience it. And we ask for more of you. And Lord, we acknowledge that this takes place when there's less of us, when we move out of the way. Lord, may your will be done in our lives. 
Lord, every area of our life. May your will be done. Lord, we surrender. We know that this is where true life is found. Lord, I pray that you would meet us today. That we'd have an encounter with you. That you would teach us to be more like you. And we give you this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen.